Hey guys, sorry I was a minute late. I was um, dealing with a post call issue. Seems like it never ends. Um, okay, good evening. I'm trying out this new time. It's five o'clock on the West Coast, and um, I've just been trying to experiment with some different times because I know it's hard at this time of day uh, for many people if you're trying to wrap up your work day and get your evening time going. So we'll see how this works out. Um, we've had some people join already, so I'll go ahead and just ask if there's anything anybody wants to talk about. Um, you can raise your hand or um, we can go in the chat and you can bring up an issue in the chat. Um, Anything anybody wants to talk about? Okay, we have a volunteer. Let me just rename. I'm using um, cities in California today. Somebody came already named Spring Day, so we'll leave that that way. And then um, um, we use fun cities in California. <clears throat> All righty, San Clemente, I'm going to allow you to talk here and then we will get going. Hi. Hello. How are you doing? I'm doing okay. How are you? I'm doing, I'm doing okay as well. I'm actually getting sick, which is super oh, awesome. No. Oh no. <laughs> Take your zinc and your vitamin C. I know. But anyway, um, what's going on? Um, so I just wanted to follow up um, something that I recently had coaching for, mm -hmm. um, just, you know, still working through the thought process. So um, after the session where I discussed what was going on, I felt awesome, really um, like motivated, weight lifted off my shoulders and said, okay, how can I take what we discussed today and apply it to like other shitty situations that are having right now? Yeah. Um, but things with my circumstance are changing so rapidly mm -hmm. that I'm having a hard time sort of working through it because I feel like I didn't even get to process, you know, mm -hmm. the first part of the circumstance or the second part or whatever. Okay. How have things changed? Um, well, so uh, I had discussed that um, my group had not sent in my credentialing paperwork to the hospital in time and I yeah, had to appeal to the board, uh, the board about taking my boards on time. Mm -hmm. Um, so, and, um, you know, other issues that were going on with the group, but, you know, after coaching, I felt super motivated. I wrote a bomb ass letter to the board, uh, <laughs> only for the director to come and tell me, no, we're like rejecting your exemption. You're going to have to wait another year. Um, I the can't say I'm, what, what's that? The director of what? Oh, the board. Okay. Of like the, um, the A, yes. whatever, whatever, whatever the academy. Yes. <laughs> yes. He and I had a phone meeting on Friday and I sent him my very awesome letter and he's like, that's nice. But the answer is still no. Oh, um, okay. Yeah. Which is of course very disappointing and infuriating for many reasons, but um, what had happened the day before is I was in a really, really tough case and I had a similar case, um, a few months ago. And at that time I didn't call any of my partners. And when one of them found out what happened, he had said, Oh, I wish you had told me you needed help. I would have come. 
Mm-hmm. And here there were a lot of patient factors causing, you know, difficulty with the case. And it was my first time operating at this hospital. And so after so many hours, I was like, you know what? My brain is tired. I just need someone to like take a second look, you know, just yeah. a second set of eyes. Yeah. I called him. He refuses to cut. Co- he refused to come in, um, said that it's not really his wheelhouse. You know, he sends them out. And I said, I understand that, but I don't do what you do. But because I am a surgeon, I could look at that as a fresh pair of eyes and say, hey, what about this? You know, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. so um, uh, basically, so both partners, the two times I've called them have said no. Um, so basically, they're, you know, you can't get blood from a stone, right? They're showing me that they'll say that they'll support me in this way, but they don't. And the reason this ties back to my boards is that means that I need to stay at this current job for an additional year. Okay. And right now with like coaching and bot work, I was like, you know what? You only have to be here for another year. Like you've already made it six months. You can totally make it another year. Mm-hmm. Um, but now that I have to be here for two more years, um, I'm like, how am I going to be here for two years? How will I develop the practice that I want to develop um, without supportive partners? Um, mm-hmm. I was talking to another surgeon in the area about my case. Mm-hmm. And, you know, she said, listen, those cases are hard. They always take forever. But she said in her group, they always double scrub those cases yeah. uh, because how tough they are. Yeah. And, um, you know, there's surgeons in all sorts of environments, rural or whatever, doing these cases without help or where they're harder. Um, my concern is I'm in a pretty competitive metro area, so I don't want to get, you know, a bad reputation off of these difficult type cases. So then, you know, before I talked to the director of the board, I said, okay, you know what, maybe you just don't do these cases here. Maybe you wait six more months until your team is together, until you're more familiar with the hospitals, or maybe you just don't do them at all. Maybe you just stay here for a year and then you leave and go to a job where you can do these types of things. Mm-hmm. But now I'm like, how am I going to stay here for two years with unsupportive partners, not being able to build the type of practice I want to build when my early career has been so derailed already. Okay. So, um, that that's some stuff to unpack. And so what do you think is the thing that's causing you the most pain with all of that? Um, probably the disappointment and lack of support from the partners because Mm -hmm. if it was like a good group who cares if I have to be here another year I mean they actually told me who cares if you can't take your boards you'll just take them the next year because they assume I want to stay um they don't know that you know things do not kind of turn around that I am going to get out of here um so I think if you know if they were more supportive or it was kind of what I was envisioning or trying to build for myself as a career, then I wouldn't be so disappointed about another year or delaying boards or whatever. So I heard you say a few times, the feeling is disappointed. <clears throat> yes. What do you think the thought is that's driving that you, you kind of said you don't like, you don't think they support you yeah. in so many words. Is that the thought that's driving the disappointment or what do you think is kind of like rising to the surface there? Um, I think it's definitely the lack of support that's driving the disappointment. And then also like maybe a little disappointment in myself. I mean, I kind of had a feeling this might be an issue when I interviewed, 
And I Uh had asked them multiple times, you know, I haven't done general call since residency four years ago. Are you sure we can double scrub cases? Are you sure you can Mm -hmm. back me up? Yeah, yeah, yeah. No problem. Um, Because if they didn't, I just wouldn't have taken the job. Mm -hmm. Um, Mm -hmm. But, you know, when you're coming out of, you know, a fellowship, you have like a timeline in which you have to take a job. Um, So I think it's more sort of disappointed in myself for ignoring those red flags and then disappointment and the lack of support from them. Okay. So it sounds like, you know, we could, we could like say in the circumstances, um, you were, you know, like you experienced a denial from the board. Yeah. Um, and then you had like some kind of a denial from this partner, um, when you asked for eyes, Right. When you ask the other guy to come be a fresh set of eyes for your case. Yeah. I'm just trying to get this like nice and clean for everybody to benefit from. Okay. And so then you're thinking a thought like I'm not supported here or I don't have support here. And then maybe it sounds like the thing that's even underlying that is, is you're thinking something even deeper about yourself. It's like, Oh, oh, I like got myself into this situation because I ignored these red flags. That's yeah. I think it's, yeah, I think it's two armed and I'm ignoring like all the personal issues with living where I live right now, just focusing more on the work thing. But yeah, I mean, I just so badly want to get my career off the ground, just like Mm -hmm. do what I want to do. And it's disappointing to know, okay, that's not happening here. Okay, fine. But oh, by the way, you're delayed another year from maybe finding that opportunity elsewhere. Yeah. So you just said, I'm not doing what I want to do. I wonder if that's a little bit of the thought that's there too, because you're like, it sounds like what you're describing is, is you feel like you're kind of stuck in purgatory. Yes. (laughs) Yeah. So I'm I'm just going to put this kind of like underneath the thought, I'm not doing what I want to do. Okay. And so then you feel disappointed. And when you feel disappointed, what do you do? Um, I definitely engage less. Like I used to love coming to work because it's a fairly non-toxic environment. Um, but now I'm just so like angsty all the time. And like my medical assistant is not super, but now I feel like everything he does is wrong. And Whenever the managing partner says hi to me, I really want to ignore him and not say hi. (laughs) I know it sounds like so petty and stupid, but I'm almost like, you know what? I don't want to talk to any of you. Yeah. I mean, this is actually really, really important because we all do this. We all do it. And so you're not alone. This is totally a natural human thing to do. So when you feel disappointed, it's like, of course you engage. It's like you pull yourself out. You get, it's like you pull, like you give yourself a little bit of a protection between you and all these other people who are letting you down or who you think are letting you down. And so of course you're going to engage less. It sounds like you scrutinize your assistance moves. Um, and then you, um, I want you to describe again what you talked about, the way you're like kind of of communicating with your other people there, because that was really, really important. Um, Uh, Like that I'm more angsty. Right. So you're angsty with communication with other people. 
Yeah. Like last week, I mean, this is before all this happened, but kind of in the middle, I was just, I mean, I'm pretty cheery, but just like sniffing at all the medical assistants. Like everyone was pissing me off that day, even when they were trying to do their best. And so how did you describe that? Angsty. Oh, angsty. Okay. That, yeah. that works. Angsty. So it's like, of course, like these are nonverbals that are coming out of us. Whenever we feel a certain way, we act a certain way. And then, then anything else you can think of that you do from that feeling of disappointment? Um, I haven't done this yet, but I'm kind of considering it. So the way these cases are coming to me is, um, I'm not on the call schedule yet. This hospital is the ER is calling me for backup and they know that if the call person turns it down, that I will take the case. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I feel like that is a positive that they know that I'm around and can help out when needed. Mm-hmm. Um, I've also been harassing the hospital about trying to put me on the call schedule, mm-hmm. but now I kind of feel like, okay, if I don't have support to do these cases that I'm trying to tell the ER to send to me, then like, maybe I shouldn't hustle as much. Um, Cause again, they're not really, um, they haven't been super helpful with like um, call or processes or getting established in a new city. So I'm kind of doing it on my own, but I kind mm-hmm. of feel like, well, what's the point in hustling if the ER is going to call me for backup for these cases that nobody wants. And then I feel like I'm not necessarily in a position where I can do them, you know, the yeah. way that I, that they should be done. Um, so that's important because then we can start to see how like the downstream effects are this complete, like withdrawal from the situation. It's like, if you don't feel like you have support and you're disappointed, you're not engaging, you're kind of like scrutinizing other people, maybe even getting judgmental, um, angsty when communicating with people that kind of puts up a wall or a barrier. So it like prevents you from being able to get support, even if it was available, sounds like it isn't, but even if it were, um, and then don't hustle to get the cases, right. It's like, Oh, it's the whole thing kind of like puts you in a position to where you can't get the support, even if it was available and it prevents you from doing what you want to do right? Like the whole thing Mm -hmm. is kind of like you're in purgatory and it's just like got you stuck. Yeah. Kind of like the, yeah, that's how I feel. Yeah. That I'm just like stuck here for two years and how am I going to deal with being stuck here? Or, you know, how am I going to make it the best that I can when I feel like I'm stuck here? Right. So, um, I have a question for you. When you think about your job as a surgeon and you think about like the why or like the real kind of deeper reasons for doing, you know, what you want to do, can you answer what the question is? Like, what do I want to do? Can you answer that? <laughs> like on a specific level? Um, you don't, you don't yeah. have to describe your actual cases or anything, but like, yeah, like, like, yes, yeah. um, go ahead. Go ahead. Yeah. So, um, I love my subspecialty like so much. I wouldn't do anything else in this world. Mm -hmm. Um, I want to do just my subspecialty. Mm -hmm. Um, for now I want to do some general on call only because if I leave and go to another job, a lot of times you're expected to do some general call. Mm -hmm. Um, but ideally if say that wasn't even an issue, I would do my subspecialty 
every single case wouldn't turn anything down. I could do the complex stuff. I could do the easy stuff. I could do the reconstructive stuff. So you would be like one-stop shopping in your area. Yes. Okay. So that's kind of like your ideal situation. Right. But like on a day-to-day basis, um, as far as like, you know, operating, can you describe, let me see if I can think of how to say this. Can you describe on a more like general, um, on a general level, kind of what you want to do? And maybe if I tell you what this means to me and how I discovered it for myself, it'll make more sense because I'm having a hard time with the words. So I was always like looking for the final destination. I was always like, I'm going to be happy when I get to this place that has X, Y, and Z set up. And then I'll be able to do this kind of surgery and blah, blah, blah. And I'll be happy when I get there. And each time I kind of like took a step to get to this destination, like nothing felt better until I realized, oh, there is no destination where I'm going to be happy with this. And what I figured out was my why for all of it was so that I could basically love people in the world. And the way that I love people in the world is by taking care of them with surgery. And so it's kind of more of like a philosophical why. Have you been able to identify your philosophical why for this? Um, yeah, I mean, honestly, I think it's to prove to myself that I, and I guess a little bit to others, but mostly to myself that I can do these cases. Like the hard cases that you're talking about or just any? Cases? Yeah, no, the hard cases like, um, you know, I, I, I'm in private practice. I don't take call at any trauma centers. So I understand that I won't get some of the high level trauma and that's okay. Um, I can take care of it. It comes to me, but if I don't get it, that's okay. Um, but it's more, I don't, I want to be able to keep all the cases I get, um, almost as a proof that I can do any case that comes to me. And yeah. I kind of feel, cause I did two fellowships. I kind of feel like I can do that. Like I want to do that. I know I can, mm-hmm. it's just some, logistics that I feel like I need a little bit of help with in my early career to kind of get me boosted in doing that. But why? You did two fellowships. You have a boatload of experience and, um, like if, if what, if this kind of like doing what you want to do, which sounds like is like all of the cases within your subspecialty, um, Uh, So this particular case that I did last week and that I've had before, I didn't do much of those in either specialty. I actually haven't done a lot of that since residency. Mm -hmm. Um, And it is hard, but they do fall within my subspecialty. Mm -hmm. So um, it's almost like I feel like I should know how to do that. I should say, I shouldn't say that. I know what to do. I should know how to do it like more effectively and more efficiently. Why? Um, I mean, it falls within my subspecialty. It just so happened that in my fellowships, I didn't really do a ton of that. Right. So, you know, like the steps of the case, you know what's supposed to happen in the case, but you haven't had like the repetitions of doing it yourself. Yeah, right. So why would you like 
at this red hot moment being, being like knocking it out of the park. Like, here's what I'm getting at San Clemente is I think when you have this thought, I'm not doing what I want to do. I think that's not true. I think you are doing what you want to do. You're just not doing it the way you think you should be doing it. Does that make sense? Yeah. I mean, that's probably true. Right? Like so often we are already doing the thing that we want to do. We just don't see it because our brains want to make up a bunch of bullshit about how we're not doing it the right way or, or whatever, like a hundred different reasons why, you know, your brain won't see it, that you're already doing what you want to do. And so having this be a thought that's driving disappointment, like I think would be really useful to work on whether or not that's true. Like maybe you don't have this like super tight practice right now. Like maybe you don't have, you know, the reputation of being the one-stop shopping for this particular area of the human body, but you are showing up every day and you're doing the work. So you're already doing it. Yeah, I guess um, it's actually just this particular part of the body. The rest of the cases I've done in my subspecialty have gone fairly well. Mm -hmm. Um, And I haven't had to like send anyone out or do anything. It's just this one. And it is, it is hard. I mean, when I talk to other surgeons about like the patient factors are like, yeah, of course that case didn't go well. And actually my patient on Thursday, um, I kept her in the hospital overnight. She actually apologized to me on Friday for like her patient factors, making it so hard to do the case. Um, that's, That's, this is it. Like you are doing it. It's hard. You just fucking did it. Well, the outcome was not great. Like she may need another surgery. And the patient that I did like four months ago ended up going somewhere else for like the secondary portion of it, where if I was a little more facile, I think, or if I had more support, then I feel like it could just all be done at once. And there's no conversation of, hey, we need to do a second surgery, whether I do it or whether you want me to send you somewhere else. Maybe, maybe not. But you said yourself, you talked to this other person in your community who's like, no, these are really hard. Yeah. So I think that you need to take a look at this because I don't think this is true. I think you're totally doing what you want to do. You're just not at the level you think you should be at with it. Mm-hmm. Right. Like you're, yeah. not giving, you're not giving yourself nearly enough credit for it. You're already doing it. And as far as like having support, like we can't control what your partners are going to do and say, but we also know that if you disengage from them, if you, if you like pull yourself away, it's not going to make it any easier to get support if you need it. And I wonder, like in my own community, I'm, um, you know, I don't know what it's like. I'm in private practice too. So it's just us, but like just last week I called somebody from a different uh, group north of where I live, because I actually didn't want to talk to anybody in my group about it. And I wanted a different, we all kind of toe the same party line in my group. And I wanted, like you say, a fresh set of eyes. So I called somebody else who's outside of my group. And I just, he, he wasn't able to come to surgery with me, but like, it makes me wonder if in the hospital systems, the way they are in your city, are you able to like build a relationship with somebody outside your group for if this ever happened again, like the person you called, like, is there anybody else? Or is there like a different type of surgeon that can come in? Like I call for my subspecialty, I call plastics in for help. Sometimes I call general surgery in for help sometimes for those extra set of eyes. Cause that happens. 
Yeah. Um, I actually ended up after I got off the phone with him calling a different mentor who mm-hmm. gave me a few suggestions and I did what she said. And we're actually talking tonight or tomorrow about what the next steps could be. Yeah. Um, but, um, so my partner had asked, because uh, this is obviously on speakerphone in the OR, mm-hmm. he had asked if any of the other surgeons who do this are around, because there's one in town or like one across the street is pretty good. Mm-hmm. But my thought was, is like, I don't want this surgeon. I don't know to come into this case and like see this disaster, even though it was going like really well for part of it before it turned into a disaster. I was like, no, I don't want the rival guy to come and see this disaster case. Okay. That's another thing to take a look at then, because that's like basically, um, there's a lot right there just with that statement. It's like, according to what you've told us with this particular case and the other people you've talked to, it's a really hard case. So there's no reason to believe this other guy wouldn't think it's really hard to. And we all have an opportunity each time we reach out to other practitioners and other surgeons or whomever to like foster a relationship or not. And I think the idea that they're rivals is one way to think of it, but maybe there's an alternative way to approach these people is not, not necessarily a rival, but like a potential colleague or a potential support person. Yeah. I mean, I haven't met him yet again, cause I just got privileges at this hospital. So I'm sure at some point I will, but, um, his PA has gone and stolen ED consults that the ED has given to me and admitted the patient and had her attending operate on the patient before I'm even like made aware. So I'm not sure, like, I, I agree with you. I don't mind having sort of a, um, collegial working relationship. But after that, I was like, I don't think he wants to be collegial. But he doesn't know you. Like, yeah. what if he what if he needed help one day and you were yeah. the person that needed to be? You know what I mean? Like, the yeah. the, the street really runs both ways. <clears throat> yeah. Um. I mean, I guess so. so I'm going to say this: if you think it's like too much of a rabbit hole and like going down the wrong path, just let me know. We can kind of circle back. But I think part of the reason I'm so hesitant to have anyone know that these are tough or call anyone is in my previous job. I did not lose a single surgical patient. Everyone who came to me who needed surgery stayed with me. They thought it was cool that I was a young female surgeon. They thought it was cool. Mm-hmm. Here, I've lost multiple patients who have said, you're too young. I had this like old misogynistic Russian man ask me to turn the translator off and tell me you're too young. You're unqualified. Like, I, you know, blah, blah, blah. So, and I didn't experience that in my old job. I know a lot of surgeons, particularly female surgeons experience that, but I didn't experience that in my old job. And here it's kind of put me back on my heels a little bit where Mm -hmm. I feel like, okay, well, if I call someone or if the OR staff like picks up on the fact that I'm calling for these cases that, oh yeah, I am like inexperienced and not qualified. Um, well, I mean, that's possible it's possible they would think that, or it's possible to think you're absolutely freaking amazing that you take the time to slow down and ask for help when things are challenging. Like it all, it just all depends. And we, we cannot really control how other people are going to react or respond, but with thinking about it in those terms, 
there is no chance for anybody to respond positively to it. It's like you cut them off at the pass. There's no chance. And I just, you know, this may not be something we can solve here tonight, but I really think it would be worth thinking about like, are you doing what you want to do? Like maybe it's not exactly the practice that you envisioned, but like in what ways are you doing what you want to do, right? Like in what Mm -hmm. ways is it already happening and asking your brain to identify that. And then also it's like, well, in what ways am I actually supported? Because unless we look for opportunities for support or create opportunities for support in an otherwise seemingly unsupported environment, there's no way we're ever going to get support those two years are really going to suck. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) And I'm not, you know, I'm not suggesting that everything's going to be like all rainbows and cupcakes, but it's like, if you don't try, then it's probably, you know, it's like you're deciding ahead of time to not be supported. Right. Yeah. Um, so if I'm thinking of an intentional thought now, am I sort of thinking intentionally that I will support, be supported, or am I just looking for ways of support or I guess, how am I going about that? Um, yeah. To kind of so, get me through two years. Yeah. So, um, when I'm like kind of stuck like this, I usually, I usually don't go for the big intentional thought. I usually go for like a smaller transitional thought. And I'll say like, if my brain is telling me like, I'm not supported or I hate this, or I'm like, like when I'm really dug in about something, I'll just say something like, well, it's possible I'm wrong about this, or it's possible there are ways that I'm supported that I just can't see. And it's to like, just open up the possibility of it. You don't even have to know what those ways are right now. It's just to get your brain to unlock from the idea that you're not supported or you're not doing what you want to do. So I think just practicing being like, okay, and there are ways I'm doing what I want to do already, or there, there are probably ways I'm supported. I just can't see. Does that make sense? Yeah. And actually now that you're saying that I can already come up with a way that I am supported, um, the same surgeon who wouldn't, so I don't have a PA yet. Um, and they actually for financial reasons had to go down a PA. So we're kind of tight on staff, but Mm -hmm. the surgeon who wouldn't come in lets his PA assist me for any case necessary, even if that means she's not around for his clinic and she's the only person that I do not snap at because I think she's great. Yeah. So here's the other thing to consider too, is like, we always have ourselves and unless you abandon yourself, you will always have support in yourself. And like in the first model, um, you know, you're not really supporting yourself because you're so cut off, but like, it's, it's possible that you can support yourself by making attempts to reach out to other people or, you know, by just even doing this work is a form of supporting yourself, even doing, even going through these motions of trying to figure out how to navigate this challenging situation is a way to support yourself. And so I just want to invite people that are here. We actually have quite a big group here today 
Um, so I think everybody's going to be learning. Um, like we always have ourselves and unless you like decide ahead of time, there's always going to be an opportunity for you to support yourself. So I would go with, you know, those like, where, where am I already doing what I want to do and where am I supported that I just can't see? And then your brain will just start coming up with answers. Um, I think that's good. Yeah. Somebody else raise their hand and I'm not sure if they want a coaching or if they want to comment. So I'm going to allow spring day, um, spring day to talk. Um, spring day, did you want to do coaching or did you have a comment to make about what we were talking about? I was, I had a coaching subject. Okay, perfect. San Clemente, are you feeling like we landed that plane? Okay. I think so. Um, I guess one quick question would be since we're Looking at other means of support, I was going to talk to the partners about the situation and maybe like not lack of support, but their expectations on what they feel they can support. Yeah. But now I'm like, not sure if I should, if I'm finding out like other ways they're supporting me. Well, that's a really interesting kind of like post-traumatic growth area because this case was stressful for you and um, whether or not you like you treat it as an M&M or you treat it as some kind of like learning opportunity or whatever, it could be really interesting to have this case serve as some kind of a tipping point for you to talk with your partners, like, or address ways that you guys do want to help each other outline some kind of a, you know, some kind of a, algorithm, you know, like it could actually help you. The case itself could help you after the fact. Yeah. Yeah. So I'll think about that, but I definitely like this transitional thought. So I'll sit with that for a little while. Thank you. (laughs) All right. You got it. All right. I'm going to put your hand down. Okie dokie spring day. I, I, I was thinking, um, uh, just to talk about something a little bit different. Um, my, um, I guess I want to know how, like, to help our kids when they have a lot of frustrating situations. And I I think the pandemic's been very hard. They've been thrown into doing stuff that they may not have typically done before from school and such. And, 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 when they kind of act out and act like they can't focus things in. So how would you, how do you go about like, not necessarily coaching your kids, but giving them the skills? Um, well, my daughter's eight and I'm trying to coach her all the dang time. <laughs> yes, right. Oh no, uh-huh. it's working. <laughs> to be quite honest with you, this is such a great topic. <clears throat> And what I've come to the conclusion of is the healthiest I can be in my own body and my own brain and my own skin. And if I can show up as that example for my daughter of what a, you know, um, like just try to be the person I want to be for her, Mm -hmm. um, then I think that's the best that I can do because what I notice is, is that, well, I don't know how your old your kids are, but my kid's only eight. And I try to use these techniques on her. 
Um, and to a certain extent, sometimes it works and sometimes it doesn't, but, um, she's pretty sensitive and we have some, some issues with that. And so I've just kind of like in the practical stuff, we've done, um, some things on the calm app and at night, that's a pretty regular part of our routine is to do a bedtime. Um, they have like bedtime stories for kids and uh-huh. uh, we do like a lot of this like regular rhythmic movement with scratching her back. Um, it's all the nervous system stuff that I talk about ad nauseum to help her regulate her nervous system. Um, she has a lot of undischarged energy at the end of the day. And so we do lots of dancing before the bedtime routine. Um, so it's like really about managing her nervous system at this age. I think if kids are a little older, probably some of the coaching things we talk about could be useful to help them like have a framework to build in space between stimulus and response. But at the end of the day, I think the best I can do is um, be the person that I most want to be for her to have an example of, you know, and, and that's by no means like perfect. I mean, I'm like a mess half the time, but in, in that messiness, I can show her how to navigate like, okay, mommy's not feeling good right now. Or, um, I get stressed or, you know, bad things happen at the hospital and just trying to show her how to navigate the ups and downs by me trying to be as healthy as I can, I think is the best we can do. What are your thoughts on it? I mean, you've been doing this work for a while now. What do you think? Yeah, I, I think so too. Um, the other, one time I read somewhere that like, even like when we travel, that can be very helpful to kids too, because you know, everything goes wrong all the time. It's like, I think in the last few days, Southwest has canceled a thousand flights or something. Mm -hmm. And so like what, how we react to that and not get, you know, go crazy and (laughs) yeah, all up. And um, so that's what I try to do too. And like, I, I don't know, one of my kids was, uh, pretty anxious about something and we're in the locker room with before one of her practices and I think she wasn't expecting what was going to happen and so I'm like doing breathing with her so I'm just always looking at ways that especially you know having daughters I guess I want them to have obviously the best opportunities and maybe some skill set yeah I didn't feel like I learned well I think too it's like I've really changed my relationship to pain and I think pain is so valuable and I used to want to shield her from all the pain. And now I don't because Mm -hmm. that's the only way a lot of times people can learn and grow is by going through these really uncomfortable situations and being challenged and pushed to limits that we don't really want to be able to be, you know, we don't like, we don't think ahead of time. I just want to be so uncomfortable all day today. (laughs) Right. But then at the end of the day, when you got through all that discomfort, you're like, oh my God, I am so strong. Or I learned this, or I didn't know I could do that or whatever. And Mm -hmm. you learn who you are through pain. And so I want her to have those opportunities too, but it's like that fine balance between, um, it's like being on the freeway with guardrails. I feel like our job as parents is to be the guardrail, but they need to kind of go crazy on the freeway. Yeah. Yeah. So maybe there are some other parents here that could weigh in as well. Um, 
there's something that was really interesting when I was in a group coaching session for myself with a, my group that I attend, um, somebody was talking about their kid and their kid was like smoking marijuana and looking at porn and stuff like that. And she just felt like horrible and responsible. And she was making all this stuff mean that she was a bad mom. And the coach was really crafty because she was like, this is a whole human who's just going to do shit that we have (laughs) no control over. Like you just, it has nothing to do with you being a good mom or a bad mom, but that was the story she was telling about all of it to herself. And I, I really took that to heart because I think we can be very hard on ourselves as parents and really try to make things mean that we're bad parents. Uh And I've, I've really given up that like, um, I have like the bar is set really low, like clean drinking water, roof over her head, clothes, (laughs) food, like she's fairly safe on a daily basis. Like that, those things are met. And I'm like, I'm a, I'm a great parent. I'm like knocking it out of the power. (laughs) Right. So yeah, it's a really interesting topic. So I would, I would like to invite other people who might be parents to weigh in on, or maybe, maybe they're pediatric doctors and they know, um, you know, they, have anything to add with that? Is there something spring day that's on your mind specifically that we could do a model on? No, I don't. I guess I want to learn how to not do take it, like to not react, be like feed into her reaction. <laughs> Oh, okay. Um, so that would be your A. Don't feed in. Yeah. Oh, how old is the child? Uh, this one is, uh, like 11. 11 year old child's, um, what's, what's that person doing? Like into their reaction? Just getting upset about, uh, saying she's too busy and she's, needs a break and um and and all that's probably true but um I guess I would call it working ourselves into a tizzy that's what she's doing (laughs) right okay and you don't want to feed into that so that's going to be your action you don't want to feed into your kid's reaction how would you need to feel in order to not feed into that well I need to feel calm calm and what would you need to think to feel calm that we are all good enough where we've got what we we can it, we can handle all this like um we do hard things we do hard things mm-hmm. how does that work for you if you think that thought we do hard things are you feeling calm yeah that that definitely makes me i'm like well yeah. this is just we just do this like Sometimes it sucks, but we do hard things. Mm-hmm. Um, as I mentioned, my daughter is like really, really sensitive. So she has like a lot of really huge emotions that seem to like sweep in these really um, like, it's like a roller coaster basically. <clears throat> and I know what you mean about not feeding into it. Um, and I've taken the stance in my own relationship with her to try to be like a safe place for her to land. 
but, but to just like, let her do it. Like I just Mm -hmm. let her work it all out. And I try not to get involved too much. And the funny thing is, is it's almost like a, it's almost like a wave that comes. And if you just let the thing kind of like crest and fall, she ends up being fine at the end of it. And I do feel like if I kind of like, I'm like, Oh, are you okay? Oh, do you want this? Or do you want that? Like it makes it worse. And I think it actually gives her like that reinforcement that, Oh, she's got attention now. Um, so yeah, I mean, I get that. Like they're humans and they're just going to do their own thing. Yeah. So I do think that if you're feeling calm and you're not feeding into the reaction, you're basically allowing the result then is that you allow her to do hard things. Mm -hmm. That's interesting. Yeah. What do you think happens when you do feed into her reaction? Well, it just makes us both a mess. <laughs> so let's do that model. We're doing this backwards because that was the intentional model, but let's do the unintentional one now. Like, what, what usually happens? So she has a reaction. What, how do you usually feel? Um, well, in the past, I probably would have got upset too and you know maybe reacted getting angry so you're angry what were you thinking when you to make you feel angry oh well I make it about the I make it about myself like it's you know like she's She's acting crazy because obviously I'm doing something wrong and, and why is she doing this to me? Like, <laughs> why is she making it so hard on me? There it is. I love that. That's exactly right. You just got yourself down to that painful thought. She's making this so hard on me. And of course you feel angry. But you're probably like not only feeding into the reaction, but then there's all the judgment about her. There's judgment about yourself. And then you're making it hard on you. Right. There's a technique that I really love to do. Um, I'll hold on. When other people are having like a strong reaction or something that I don't like, or I don't understand, I try to imagine what their model is that they're in because this model thing is happening for everybody all the time. Like millions of models are just constantly happening. So like the first person who we coached could imagine what the model was for the, for that person that she called on the phone for help who said, no, like what the hell model was that guy in? Or that you could be like, what model is your daughter in? And the funny thing is, is we don't even have to be right about it. Just the act of going through what it could be gets you so separated. It, it, it makes it theirs. You can more easily see what's theirs and what's yours. So Mm -hmm. let's do that. We don't do that very often here. So let's do that now too. Like, let's imagine what your daughter's model is when she's having this reaction. So what's a circumstance that triggers her. Um, something doesn't go the way she thinks 
it should have gone. Can you just make up an example? Um, uh, too many activities scheduled. Too many what? Activities, like sporting events. Okay, so I'm just going to put there are a number of activities scheduled. Okay, Because right. saying too many, she's thinking there's too yeah. many. Yeah, right. So we have X number of activities, and she's thinking there are too many. Right. And how does that make her feel? Of course, we're making this up because we don't really know. Right. Well, overwhelmed. Yeah. And then when she's overwhelmed, what does she do? Well, she clamps down. What else? Um, doesn't know how to process. And, you know, the, the thing about overwhelm, the action is how you get yourself out of overwhelm. Yeah. But that's taken me a long time to learn that. <laughs> right. So then basically she's kind of like stuck because she's clamped down. Like she's frozen in it. She's frozen in the overwhelm. So her result is, is that she like, she basically, her brain is proving there are too many activities and she can't have it. It can't be any other way for her. Mm-hmm. Right. That's super fascinating. And notice there's nothing to do with you in this model. No, it's right. And even though we made it up, any model we would make up would have nothing to do with you. Right. So I love doing this when I'm, it works really well when you're in, in the heat of something with another human and you're just like, huh, Mm -hmm. like, I wonder what it is right now. Like they are obviously frustrated. And so I wonder what they're thinking that's causing them to feel frustrated. And when they feel frustrated, this is what they're doing. And then that's totally like making their reality what it is. And then all of a sudden you're like, oh, wow, that has nothing to do with me. <laughs> right. Mm-hmm. Awesome. Yeah. Yeah. Well, thank you. Yeah. No problem. Um, you know what, Spring Day, if you solve parenting, let us know. Because we would oh, be yeah, interested. Right. <laughs> Okay. Um, how are you feeling with that? Do you, you want to add anything else? No, I think that's, I think that's very helpful to awesome. look at it with curiosity. What are they feeling? Yeah. And it's so funny how like all these human brains, they're not unique to us. And it's like, everything feels such a big deal to us. Every single human brain has the negativity bias. Every single human brain, has the motivational triad where they want to stay safe and seek pleasure and avoid pain. It's like, it's interesting to have that kind of 30,000 foot view and you're watching the way all these people are kind of conducting their business on a daily basis. (laughs) It just makes me, Mm -hmm. it just makes me laugh. I'm sort of like awestruck by all of it. And then, and then you can see like who navigates it really, really well and who doesn't. And then that's like a whole other layer of curiosity. Like why do they navigate it well? And they don't, um, I don't know. I am obviously a nerd about this stuff. Um, all righty. So I will go ahead and lower your hand then spring day. Thank you. Yeah, you're welcome. Um, does anybody else have anything to add? We have a few more minutes. We could do like a lightning round. Um, 
my resident asked me today, it was the funniest thing. Um, I actually did a coaching session on him like a year ago and he has been using some of the techniques, which is super cool. But he, he texted me something today cause we were both post call and I wanted to make sure he had gone home on time. And he, he reassured me that he had gone home and that he was resting cause he was up all night. And he's like, um, he was, oh, he was talking about how I have patience. And I thought that was so funny. And then I was like, you know what? I really do have patience. And I explained to him, this is just a muscle that I've been flexing over and over and over again. I haven't always had patience, but I really do. And I thought that's what all of this is. All of these techniques, all of this way to kind of be intentional, slow down, look at what your brain is offering you, try to discover what those unconscious beliefs really are and just kind of like understand the different parts of the mind and body and how they all work together and then just flex that muscle over and over and over again forever. It's pretty cool. Anyway, um, does anybody have anything else you want to talk about in the last five minutes or comments to make? I'll give you a minute or so. Otherwise, we can just call it a night. Fantastic. Okay, guys, I love you all so much. And um, what's really cool is as we work together, I am growing as well. And I just love being able to be on this journey we're all together working it all out. And I think it's amazing. So thank you so much. And we'll see you next time. Have a good night, everybody.